I uh, heard a story about a man who had recently retired, and he'd always dreamed of owning a cattle farm, a cattle ranch. And so him and his wife, once they retired, they bought some property out west and moved out to Wyoming. So they moved out there. They'd been out there for a couple of weeks, and some friends of theirs from at back east came and visited them to kind of see the property, see how things were going. And so they gave them a tour of the property. And as they're touring the property, the guy, uh, the friend, asked the, the newly retired man, the rancher now, he said, well, do you have a name for your ranch? And the rancher said, well, yeah, but actually that's kind of been a little bit of a, a sticking point. You see, I wanted to name the ranch the Double R Ranch. My wife had something different in mind. She wanted to name it the Sally J Ranch. Our son had something different, and he wanted to name it the Flying W Ranch. And our daughter, even then, she wanted something different. She wanted to name it the Bar Z Ranch. And so we couldn't decide on what to name it, so we just decided to call it the Double R Sally J Flying W Bar Z Ranch. Friend said, well, that's kind of a long name and a mouthful, but I guess it's your ranch. You can call it what you want to. I just have one more question. Where are all the cattle? And the guy said, well, none of them survived the branding, so... We have been in the midst of a series, yeah, some of you are just getting that. Maybe you'll get it in an hour after your body wakes up. We have been in a series that we're wrapping up this morning called What's in Him for Me? And uh, I've loved being in this series. I've really enjoyed walking through all these blessings, and that's really what this ser- sermon series is about, what this passage has been about, is walking through the, the Apostle Paul's list of some of the foundational blessings that you and I have in Christ. That, that, that when we enter into a relationship with him, here's what it looks like. And, and I, I, I've hopefully conveyed to you that the, the blessings aren't the point. Ultimately, the, the blesser is the point. That these blessings are only found in Christ. And that really is the point. But in Christ, there are all these blessings as well. And so what do these things mean? What do they mean for our lives? What does it look like when we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ? How do those blessings come to the forefront? And so we've been walking through these blessings and we're wrapping up our series this morning. And we're going to look at the final two verses in this section. And speaking of branding... Uh, The final blessing that we're going to be looking at is about a branding of sorts, God branding you and me, although it's not quite like the branding in the joke that I uh, just mentioned. But we are going to talk about how God marks us, God seals us, as we're going to talk about, how God brands us in a way. But thankfully, uh, the kind of branding that God brings, brings life and not death, so you don't have anything uh, to worry about. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. If you go ahead and turn with me there, uh, we'll read starting in verse 13. Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the final blessing that we're going to talk about is the blessing of being sealed with the Spirit. Being sealed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that in Christ you are a marked man, you are a sealed man or woman. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What's the big deal about being sealed with the Spirit? Well, in Paul's day and age, when he's writing this, a seal in many ways was an imprint. It was a distinctive imprint that would be pressed into wax or some substance like that. And when they would do that and they would affix that seal 
uh, in many cases to a letter or to some kind of uh, property, some piece of property, and they would do that to send a message about that letter or that piece of property, who it was from, what it was about, what it entailed. And so when Paul talks to us about you and I being sealed with the Spirit, that would have meant something very specific to them. They would have had a very real idea, a very concrete idea of what that looked like to them. And I think it still has relevance for us today. So let me give you three things. I'm trying to keep it simple this morning, although these ideas are are not simple in and of themselves, but I'm just going to give you three things that the seal of the Spirit means for you and I as Christians. First, the Spirit's seal testifies to us that we are forgiven. We're going to spend quite a bit of time here on this, but uh, because it's a big idea, but the Spirit's seal testifies to you and I that we are forgiven. In Paul's day and age, when you paid off a debt, you got back a receipt or an invoice, and it had something written on it, and then they would stamp it or, or uh, affix a seal to it so as to certify this is an official document. You know that this is an official document by the seal uh, or the stamp that has been affixed to it. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the last words that Jesus gives on the cross. The last words he says when he's on the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, it is finished. He's on the cross. These are his last words, and he says, it is finished. And we talked about what that means, a little bit about this idea. That's three words in the English, it is finished, but it's actually just one word in the Greek language, the word tetelestai. And that literally means to be paid in full. Tetelestai was a word that creditors would literally stamp or write on a document when you paid off something that you owed. So you get a, a letter in the mail or an email that says, you know, you've paid it off, the debt's been paid, the student loan, the car loan, the house is paid off. In, in those days, the, that letter, that email would have had tetelestai stamped or written on it to let you know, to certify that the debt has been paid. It's, it's free and clear. You rightfully own it. You don't owe anymore. It's paid in full. And so Jesus, on the cross, he says, it is finished, and he uses that word, tetelestai, really to sum up what he came to do. He's giving a commentary about what his life was all about, that what he came to do was to pay a debt, that he paid it in full. And so when you trust in Christ, when you give your life to him and you trust in him and his life, his death, his resurrection, you're buried with him in baptism, God, in essence, stamps you with the last words of Jesus. It is finished, paid in full. Now, I want you to notice something in this verse, and I included it with with the end of this verse, not just to end with it is finished. But after that, John says that after Jesus says these words, that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So just think through this for just a moment. Let me give you a couple of things, and hopefully I can bring them together that they make sense. Paul calls the Holy Spirit a seal, okay? And so when the debt has been paid, that, that invoice, that receipt is stamped with the word Tetelestai. It's stamped with that word. And then on top of that, you have some kind of wax seal that is affixed to it to certify that this is an official document. And so Jesus says these words, it is finished, Tetelestai, paid in full on the cross, and then he gives up his spirit. And I can't help but think that there's some, some symbolism that's going on here. And even if there isn't, it's, it still paints a beautiful picture, I think. That he says these words, it is finished, it's been paid in full. Then he gives up his spirit. And what happens with his spirit? 
Eventually, it gets poured out on believers. And what's the first work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life? To testify to you that the debt has been paid in full. Do you see the connection there? So Jesus says, it is finished, paid in full. He gives up his spirit. That spirit is eventually poured out on us as believers when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And the first work of the Holy Spirit is to testify to you and me that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. That the debt has been paid. It's been paid in full. I think that's why there's such a close connection in Scripture between the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit coming into one's life. Because it's the Holy Spirit that convinces us, that, can, that testifies to us, that our sins are forgiven. That verse that I taught the kids this morning in, in Acts chapter 2, if you remember the story, Peter is preaching at Pentecost. That's what's going on there. And Peter's preaching to all these Jews in Jerusalem. And so he, he's basically saying, hey, you guys messed up big time. You, I mean, you royally messed things up. And he closes, he wraps up the sermon by telling them uh, that uh, in, in verse 36, he says, look, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. The guy you crucified is the Messiah that you've been waiting on for, for centuries and generations after generations. And, and Luke says that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent. In other words, change your heart, change your mind about Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so the, the Holy Spirit is given upon the forgiveness of sins. He's the sign that the debt has been paid. He's the stamp of Jesus' words, it is finished over our lives. So let me ask you, have you ever known a believer to struggle with whether or not their salvation is secure? Have you ever known a believer to struggle with whether or not either the, their sins are forgiven on a large scale, or on, on, a, on a general scale, or maybe a specific sin or sins in their life? Or let me ask it a little bit more personally. Have you ever struggled with that? I think all of us can answer yes to at least one of those questions, if not all of those questions. And I don't think it's a coincidence that our lack of understanding at times of the Spirit, and, and, and part of this, I, I've been so convicted this week, I'm like, I, I need to preach more about the Spirit because our lack of understanding of the Spirit and, and our lack of tapping into the Spirit and our lack of walking daily with the Spirit I think has something to do with why so many Christians struggle with that aspect of whether or not they are forgiven. Am I, am I really saved? Am I really grounded in knowing that my salvation is secure because it is the Holy Spirit that testifies to you and me about our forgiveness and our salvation. But if you're not growing in your understanding of the, of the Spirit, if you're not growing in your relationship with the Spirit, if you're not tapping into the Spirit daily in your life, then you don't know how to listen to Him when He's testifying to you. Does that make sense? So the more you tap into him, the more secure you are. It doesn't mean that you, you grow prideful. Sometimes we can, but it, doesn't, it just means that you grow more in the reality of what God has done for you because the Spirit is saying you are God's child and you are forgiven. The debt's been paid, te telestai, because it's the Holy Spirit that testifies to you of your salvation. I read something not too long ago about a psychiatrist who said that he could dismiss, he could, he could get rid of, not in a bad way, but he could dismiss half of his patients if they were just more secure of their salvation. 
first time I read that, I was like, that seems interesting. But then the more I got to thinking about it, I think he's probably underestimating that number. I, I think it, it would be more than that. And then I think about what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16, when he calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, our helper. Another word for that, our counselor. And when it comes to forgiveness of sins, I, I think all of us would do, it would do all of us some good to, to get some therapy, a lot more therapy from the Holy Spirit when it comes to our salvation, it comes to our forgiveness. Because here's the deal. God, it's God's will for you to know that you're saved. It is God's will for you to rest secure in your salvation. Let me just give you some verses to think about. No, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I at least want to kind of frame our minds around this. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the Spirit himself, big S, testifies with our spirit, little s, that we are God's children. That's part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to testify to you that you are God's child. You don't have to wonder whether you're in the family or outside of the family. The Spirit is testifying to you or desires to testify to you that you are God's child. I love what, how John puts it in 1 John, a couple of different places. In, in chapter 3, verse 24, he says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. How do we know it? We know it by the Spirit he gave us. He goes on to say in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And then he wraps up the letter by saying in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you that you may, that, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the Spirit's job, is to testify to you so that you don't have to wonder. How many of you have ever played the shell game? You know the game where you've got three shells or three cups, and so you, you, you know, you, well, you, somebody else is doing this to you, but they've, they've got three shells or three cups set up, and they put an object under one of them, and then they shift them all around. I love going to baseball games because they always do that at the base. That's not the only reason I love going to baseball games. That'd be sad if that's the only reason, but they do that at baseball games all the time. I've never been to a baseball game where they didn't do that, and then they move it all around. You've got to figure out where it's at, right? And that's a fun game to play when it's an insignificant object, it's not so fun when it comes to more serious things, like God's love and our salvation. You see, God, God's not playing the shell game with you and I. God's not moving it around, and you've got to figure it out and deduct and use some reasoning and, and say, well, I think it's here, and I think it's here. I'm not really sure. And may. That's what Satan does, by the way. God doesn't play the shell game. God doesn't leave you guessing and wondering when it comes to your salvation and where you stand with him. His spirit, he's given you his spirit to testify that you are saved, that you are redeemed, that you are chosen, that you are forgiven. And what a difference that makes practically in our lives, or at least it ought to make a practical difference in our lives. And yet, unfortunately, there are so many Christians who claim to be saved and claim to be forgiven and yet they carry around with them this huge weight of anxiety and regret over things they've done in their past, past mistakes, past sins, whatever they may be. And all the while, God's Spirit longs to testify to you and me that those things are forgiven. Those things have been paid for. That's the reason Jesus went to the cross. Now that doesn't mean, okay, let me just give a little caveat, that doesn't mean that you won't experience some of the consequences for sins and past choices in your life, okay? But the, that debt's been paid. You don't have to, t 
to keep playing the shell game, wondering if your salvation is secure. Am I saved today? Am I lost tomorrow? The debt has been paid. If you are in Christ and you're walking in step with the Spirit, the debt has been paid. Don't allow those things to weigh you down, but rather allow the Spirit to testify to your spirit about your forgiveness and your salvation in Jesus Christ. And so when you, when you sense the seal of the Spirit in your life and when you're, you're experiencing the Spirit of God working through you and you're, you're living and you're, the, the fruit of the Spirit is coming through in your life, all of those ways are ways of you being reminded that the debt has been paid. The transaction is complete. It is finished. You are his. And so this, that has something to say, something huge to say to us, to, to, you know, those times when we are unsettled over whether our salvation is secure. Am I saved? Am I forgiven? But I also think it has something to say to us because you know, there's the other side. Some of us can be, become so secure that, that, we, that we become prideful, for lack of better ways. We become, maybe secure is not the right word, but, but maybe that's kind of where it starts, that we become so secure in our salvation or in the thought of, of who we are in Christ that we forget it's not about who we are, it's about who Christ is and we are in him. Because it's possible for you and I to become prideful when, when we experience God working through us and, and we have other people around us affirming us. Oh, you're so awesome. You're great. God's working through you. And those aren't bad things that people are affirming you, but can very, become very easily where, where we have people affirming us and, and maybe we're not weighed down by the, the anxiety of wondering, wondering where our salvation is secure, but we're, we're puffed up by pride. I think Jesus saw this happening with his disciples in, in Luke chapter 10 when, when his 72 disciples return after performing all these miracles and, and they report back to Jesus. And, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, um, Luke tells us that when 72 of his disciples, uh, when they return, they return with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, just in case. You need to keep, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the disciples had gotten a little bit off course. They rejoiced more in their spiritual authority than they did in their spiritual identity. And sometimes we as believers, we experience the fruit of God working through us. People affirm us, but we must see that only as an affirmation that we are God's children on this earth, not that we are God's gift to this earth. You are an affirmation that you are, those things are an affirmation that you are God's children, not you are God's gift to this earth. And so when people affirm you and, and, and people see God working in you and they see his spirit, they see Jesus in you, that's an affirmation that you really are God's child. May that humble you, may that embolden you and empower you, but may that not, may not, not make you prideful. That the debt has been paid. Your name is written in the book of life and that's more than enough reason to let go of those burdens that are weighing you down or let go of those prides that are puffing you up, whatever they may be, and allow God's spirit to testify to your heart in your mind, about the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. His Spirit testifies to us that we are forgiven. Secondly, though, the Spirit's seal testifies or reminds us that you are not your own. In Paul's day, one of the things seals were used for was to establish who you legally belong to or what, what legally belonged to this person. If you're sending it, you stamped it with a seal saying, this is mine, right? I'm sending it to you in, in the name of 
of, of me in, in the name of whatever it was that you were rep- that, that letter was representing. Think about Pilate. When, when Jesus is crucified, he's put in the tomb. Pilate has the guards, Roman guards, put in front of the tomb. But what else does he do? You remember? He puts a Roman seal on top of the entrance to the tomb as if to say, whatever's in this tomb is my possession. Of course, that didn't work out too well. We all know how the story ends. But I, I, I find it interesting what Andrew read earlier and, and what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or chapter 1, when he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. To be, to be marked with the Holy Spirit means that we do not belong to anyone else, including ourselves. We belong to God. Paul goes on to reflect what this means when it comes to seeing ourselves as being owned by God, when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know, this is probably a verse that many of us know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us and at times convict us that we are not our own. You see, when you're not your own, you make certain decisions. When you represent someone else, you make certain decisions. When you think of yourself as your own, you make decisions that affect you first and foremost. But you are not your own. And the Holy Spirit's job, part of it, is to convict us and remind us that we are not our own. We we were bought at a price. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. And having the the seal of the Spirit doesn't just mean it is finished when it comes to my salvation. It also means I am finished when it comes to my ownership. That I'm finished as owner of my life. My life now owns, is owned by God. It reminds me of a story uh, of a guy named John Patton. He was a missionary to the island of the South Seas uh, about 150 years ago, mid-1800s. And the story goes that he was getting off the transport ship that was taking him there. Him and his family were going to, to do missionary work on this island. He was warned by the captain of the ship before he dropped him off. He said, you're, you're, there's a good chance you're going to die. You set foot on that island, there's a good chance you're going to die because the island was inhabited by cannibals. And so the captain said, there's a good chance you get off this boat, they're going to kill you and eat you. And I love what John Patton said. Listen to what he said. He said, sir, I died before I ever got here. I died before I ever got here. He knew that he wasn't his own. And that leads me to the third thing that it means to have the seal of the Holy Spirit The Spirit's seal assures us that we have a glorious future. Paul says that the Spirit is a seal that is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That word for deposit really means, we don't use this term as much, earnest money. You probably are more familiar with the term deposit, but they mean the same thing, right? You think about you're buying a house, and so, or you're, you're selling a house, somebody's buying it from you. They give you earnest money. They give you deposit money. As if to say, here's part of the money and the rest is coming in the future. 
But the Spirit's more than just a, a down payment, a, a promise, a, 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 an earnest money deposit about the future. The Spirit is also a taste of the future in a very concrete way right now. That's why we talk about things like the fruit of the Spirit. Just like that deposit, that earnest money is, is, is real money on buying a house. That's, you know, you, yes, you're looking forward to something else. You're looking forward to the, the big payment someday, but that money is real in the meantime. Like you can spend it. You can make a down payment on another house. You can use that money right away. So too is the deposit that has been given us through, through Jesus Christ in the whole seal of the Holy Spirit. That deposit allows us to experience a measure of our inheritance right now. And so we can experience a measure of, you think about the fruits of the Spirit, love, of joy, of peace. We can experience a measure of, of healing or comfort or freedom from sin. Now, Ultimately, we're not going to experience the fullness of those things until we get to heaven, but we can experience a measure of those things right now. I like how one person put it. He says it's a preview of coming attractions. The seal of the Spirit is a preview of the coming attractions that one day God will give us when we get to heaven. It's a deposit on what is ahead, but at the same time, again, it's just a deposit, right? It is just a deposit. And yet, that doesn't have to be all bad news. In fact, it's, it's quite good news because any deposit that we experience in this life is just a tip of the iceberg to what God has in store for us one day. Like the old saying goes, God truly is saving the best for last. And so when life is difficult and it's struggling and there's adversity, I keep in mind God is saving the best for last. And on the other hand, when, when life is good and things are going well, and I'm tempted to think, well, I can't get any better than this, I'm still reminded and living in the reality, God is saving the best for last because pretty much anything that you or I taste of in this life, even on our best days, I'm still tasting of and experiencing in a fallen version of a way. Think about it. The most beautiful sunrise or sunset you and I have only seen in a fallen the Rocky Mountains, Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, some of the most beautiful picturesque landscapes you've only seen in a fallen state of a way. The newborn baby, the smile or the laugh of a little child, the touch of a loved one. You've experienced those things and those are great things, but you've only experienced them in a fallen state, in a fallen world, in a fallen way. The most marvelous experiences of, of, of pleasure and beauty in this world that we thank and praise God for, we're seeing in a fallen state. I mean, can you even imagine? Even the best of what we see and experience on this earth and in this life is but a tip of the iceberg for what God has in store for us one day in heaven. And that's what his spirit desires to testify to you and me, that we've got a glorious future and the best is still yet to come. You see, letters and songs by Stevie Wonder are not the only things that are signed, sealed, and delivered. Because the greatest reality is that you and I as Christians are signed, sealed, and delivered. We are his. And even more than that, I think about a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where we find out that we ourselves are a letter from Christ, as Paul says, written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That in many ways, you and I are signed, sealed, and delivered to be a testimony to others in this world. And some of you may think, yeah, but you haven't read some of the paragraphs of my letter of my life. And maybe I haven't. But I do know this. God's in the business of editing. And he's the master editor. And he can take those broken and tragic and downright awful paragraphs and chapters in your life and turn them into something amazing and beautiful. Because like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he's bringing everything together under one head who is Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus that everything, we may not understand it, but one day it's all going to add up in the end. The presence of God's Spirit testifies to you that you are forgiven. His Spirit reminds you that you are not your own. And he tells us that you are in, I am in, we are all in Christ, and we are in for a glorious future. Here's the deal, though. Every week in this series, I've talked about one aspect uh, in particular. I brought up the fact that Paul, when he writes this, he's in chains. And I think there's so much application because it shapes how we view everything that he talks about. It's easy to talk about these things in a very Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky type of way, and we may know them and we may talk about them. When you think about Paul being in prison, it puts a new facet on things. It puts a new shape on things. And the reality is that Paul is in prison when he writes this, and yet his primary reality is not being in prison. Paul's primary reality is being in Christ. And he knows that because he's in Christ, that is his primary reality. And that even more real than the fact that he's in chains is the fact that he's in Christ. And that makes a difference in how he responds to the chains that he's in. And the good news for you and I is that it doesn't matter where we are or what we've been through, that you and I can be in Christ wherever we are and whenever we are. And the more I'm deeply rooted in this reality of being in Christ, the more free I am to respond the way Christ would have me respond, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what my limitations, no matter where I am or what I'm going through. That's why it's so important for you and I to know, as we talked about at the very beginning of this series, who you are and where you live. Know your geography, know your brand, know your identity. Every single one of us, if you have responded to Jesus Christ, you are in him. That's where you live. That's who you are. And knowing who you are and where you live is going to set you free to make all the difference where you are in your life and with the people around you. Signed, sealed, delivered. We are his. And it's all for the praise of his glory. So we wrap up our lesson in our series, I want to leave you with one final thought, overarching thought. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it took Paul 14 verses in Ephesians before he gets to something that you and I actually do. It's all God, the first 14 verses, right? It's God who chooses you. It's God who adopts you. It's God who redeems you. It's God who uh, forgives you. It's God who lets you in on the big picture of his plan and his purpose. It's God who predestines you for the praise of his glory. It's God who seals you with his Holy Spirit. It's all God. We're all on the receiving end until you get to verses 13 and 14. And Paul says these three little words that maybe you easily skipped over. When you believed. When you believed. 
there is one thing God will not do for you, and that's trust and believe for you. You know, nobody wants to be in a relationship where there's a lack of trust, right? You don't want to be in a relationship where someone's not going to trust you. Marriages don't survive without trust. Relationships don't survive without trust. Friendships don't survive without trust. Churches don't survive without trust. In many ways, you would require somebody to trust you if you're going to go anywhere in a relationship with them, right? So why would you think God's any different? Why would we think God is any different? I mean, if we, would, if we would require that from other people, why would we think that God wouldn't require it from us and say, you, you have to trust me in order for all of this to be realized in your life? And so I simply just want to close out this morning and this lesson by inviting you to trust him. Maybe that's for the first time. Maybe that involves giving him your life being buried with him in baptism and trusting him with your life for the first time. Or maybe that involves today recommitting your trust in him, starting today. Either way, the invitation is to put your trust in him. I mean, that's what we've been talking about this entire series, right? Because it's all about him. And I think what you'll find is that in him, what's in him for you and me, is blessings beyond what we could ever dream or imagine.